What's up, bosses? Before we kick off this episode, I want to tell you about our sponsor this week. It is Indeed.com. Your business is your dream, and you want to find people who share that dream and have the skills to help it grow. Find them faster with Indeed. Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring partner that can help Help you do it all. Find great talent faster through time-saving tools like Indeed Instant Match assessments and virtual interviews. I'm going to tell you even more about all the great features of Indeed. But if you want to start hiring right now, we have a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job posts when you head over to Indeed.com/ilab. This offer is only good for a limited time, so claim your $75 credit now at Indeed dot com slash ilab that's indeed dot com slash i l a b terms and conditions apply need to hire you need indeed all right let's kick off this episode of invest like a boss welcome to the invest like a boss podcast i'm sam marks and i'm johnny fd we're self-made entrepreneurs who invest our own money and use modern technology to invest like a boss. Join us each week for exclusive interviews with our network of modern investors, business owners, and multimillionaires to discover new ways to invest our hard-earned cash. What's up, bosses? I got to make it extra now because Johnny loves the intro of the podcast. It's the Invest Like a Boss podcast, episode 241. I'm here in Los Angeles. Johnny, I think you're in Kiev, but you didn't want to see me today, so we turned your video off. How are you doing? Well, I wanted to see you, but your terrible LA uh, internet <laughs> didn't want to show your face. <laughs> but yeah, I'm in Kiev with my super fast internet, even during war times. I know. It's a recurring theme on the show, <laughs> but it is really sad that a country in the middle of a major war has lightning fast internet, and I'm just... Here in Los Angeles, which is supposed to be the entertainment capital, and now we have the tech scene here, and we can't even get decent internet. Yeah, it's insane, and, and I, I really don't pay that much. I, I think I pay like twelve or fifteen dollars a month or something for two hundred gigs up and down. <laughs> That's honestly yeah. how it should be, but oh well. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh well. But uh, yeah, life is pretty good here. Pretty happy. Um, I, I have a little secret. I gotta. I gotta tell everyone. Well, I uh, secret. I bought a lottery ticket a few weeks ago, and um, <laughs> I uh, you know I wanted to stay anonymous, but you know I'm I'm the winner. I, I took the the lump sum. I'm, I'm, my my uh, LLC is in what was it what was it Ohio? No, <laughs> you don't even <laughs> I don't know. know where your LLC is. Maybe Illinois. You, Illinois. You, you, cash, yeah. you cash. You cash your ten dollar lottery ticket. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <Some sum. laughs> yeah. There you go. That's funny. Um, but you know what? As much as as much as a billion dollars gets you in America, think of what you could you could buy in Kiev. Like honestly, you could. Here's a little perspective. The U.S. just sent or is in the process of sending five hundred and fifty million dollars in weapons to to Ukraine. So you you could literally fund like this whole war, and that could honestly be a tipping point. Think of it that way. You know, it, it's crazy because weapons are really expensive, and and when I when I hear five hundred million dollars, it sounds like a lot of money, but I think that's literally like a few HIMARS and, and some ammunition. It's uh, and do you know that it's something like 
less than like it'd be okay. I, I think somebody uh, equated to this. They said that if the U.S. was a person like with, with that budget, like that was his net worth or his, or his annual spending, it'd be like he cut a penny in half and <laughs> put it in Ukraine's cup and said, "Like here, go uh, go help yourself." Yeah, it's wild. The military budget is huge, but I guess that's you know why that the U.S. is such a powerhouse in the the military. But I'm just kind of looking up. I'm just curious now, like how much a jet costs. So how much do, do you think like one F-35 jet costs for the Air, For- the Air Force to build it in the U.S.? I would assume at a minimum $100 million. Pretty close. $78 million just for one jet. Yeah. It's crazy. I mean, it is literally crazy. But I mean, military spending... Oil, gas, energy, those are the big ticket items in the world. Everything else just, you know, is, is a tiny, tiny, tiny fraction. Yeah, totally. It's wild when you think about the money. And uh, speaking of like oil money, have you seen this? It's kind of a big story here in the US. Um, the PGA Tour, which is like, you know, the professional golf tour, mm-hmm. they're kind of getting overtaken by this live tour. I don't know if you've heard about it, Johnny. I got but it's all, I got it's all set up by like oil money. Yeah. yeah. Is that- <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, I would be literally the worst golfer on the course. But yeah, so I, I heard a, I think like an NPR podcast or something about it. And they said it's called soft diplomacy, where if um, they start, you know, showing uh, how great whatever Saudi Arabia is, how normal it is. They start having big sporting events there. People start forgiving them for their, you know, oil crimes and their war crimes and their slave labor and, you know, their, you know, just all the downsides. Yeah. It's really wild. And it's interesting to see. And it's, it's kind of sad. I know it's kind of going on a tangent that we're not going on the episode, but the things that people will do or, or low, uh, lower the, maybe their ethics to for a paycheck especially people that already had a lot of money. Like let's say someone like a Phil Mickelson, he was already worth, I'd say at least probably a hundred million dollars. And he still took the check to go on this tour. And it's just wild to me. That's like, you, it seems like you already had everything and you just want more and more and more. Yeah, I can see it. But it's also a hard situation because he can justify it saying like, look, I'm just playing, I'm just going to play a game. Like, you know, it's like if, uh, some singer went to go perform in China or something, you know, yeah, China's doing a lot of bad things, but the singer is like, you know what? I'm just there to, you know, perform, uh, I'm doing my job and I want to get my paycheck. Yeah, I could see that. But at a point it's like, it seems like, don't you have enough? But uh, I guess we've seen it from a lot of people that maybe that point's never reached for some people. Uh, one, one person that seemed to have enough is actually our guest on this show, uh, financial samurai, who's actually been on the podcast six years ago yeah. uh, before I was on the show for sure too. It was iLab 24. I actually went back and listened to that episode and then coming up to this one and how things have changed. And he had a really cool story. Um, Johnny, do you want to touch on his story a little bit um, in case anybody forgot from the previous episode? Yeah, I think it was something like he was an investment banker, made a ton of money, was stressed out, burnt out, you know, decided, you know, I'm going to start blogging. And, um, and for a long time, uh, I think we're literally up until now he stayed anonymous, so he was under the the finance, you know the 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 guise of the financial samurai, this this you know icon, um, this avatar, and people just called him Sam. But you know, I I met him in person, had a beer with him in San Francisco after our interview, so I was actually one of the few people who actually knew who he actually was. 
Yeah, that's really cool. Like he doesn't seem like he he really needed or wanted the spotlight too much. And he gave up a huge high paying corporate job. And I think he retired at 34 to do the financial samurai and write. And he's really into writing and uh, helping people out, which is really cool. And he also did some things, though, that were kind of interesting because I want to talk. I'm going to talk about it more afterwards, but he's he's hit some home runs on investments like he's taken a lot of risk before he retired that really kind of helped him set off in in the path that he's on like he he mentioned um i think it was in the first episode he was on actually though he bought one stock at one time for three thousand dollars and then within a matter of like a month it went up all the way to one hundred and eighty thousand dollars like something like that could like be life-changing for someone and he said he was able to use that money to buy real estate and now he owns multiple real estate properties but um, it's something that like we don't really touch on much because, you know, we're about a lot of passive income and, you know, um, kind of being a little bit safer with your money. But doing that, you're just it's really hard to get to the next level. Yeah, it is. I mean, there's the the, the two theories of thought, right? The slow but steady wins the race or the swing for the fences. I actually, even though I'm a very, uh, you know, Oh, like a slow and steady kind of investor now. If I was going to give myself advice and I was 18 or 22 again, I would say, Johnny, just like work hard, you know, you know, work your ass off, you know, work two, three jobs and just like live at home, you know, keep your, your expenses low and just invest in the most risky crap possible uh, and either go bankrupt or, you know, become a, a you know, become a millionaire trying. I mean, if we take the last five years up until six months ago or so, that would have been great advice, honestly. <laughs> Sadly, I should say. Yeah. And, you know, I think the only other, you know, caveat I would say uh, to my, you know, my former self, I would say, uh, anytime you hit a jackpot, take half of it off the table right away. <laughs> and then, you know, yeah. if you want to, you know, like let the like the rest roll a bit, you can, but just have like some, some points where you, you take out money so you don't, it doesn't all just disappear one day. That's a good point. I know a lot of people that have hit home runs like that and then they just stay in and they're going, I'm hanging on to it. Or did you hear about the the Dogecoin millionaire? That guy had up to like $3 million in Dogecoin and he said, I'm never selling it. I'm never touching it. And today it's worth like 200000 Yeah. You know, it, you know, part of it is the type of people who have invested in those scam coins or those, you know, kind of shady, high risk, you know, uh, things, they had to have the conviction to really believe it. You know, they, they probably, you know, read some crap on Reddit or some forums saying, yeah, like this is the future guys, you know, we're hodlers, we're going to hold forever. None of us sell, none of us sell. Meanwhile, some people who are a little bit smarter are sickly taking money off the table, you know, selling yeah. a little bit, you know, or they kind or of just dump it. <laughs> Or I think they're also in in public. They're saying, you know, hodl, never sell, and then in private, they're actually selling. Yeah. Or some of those people, you know, had so little, like it, like it didn't matter, you know, or it was like one percent of their net worth. In that case, it didn't matter either. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I guess you don't know what you lost if you never really had it. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So why don't we jump into this interview? Because I got some questions for you um, based based on some of his thoughts that I know you don't necessarily agree with. So I think we'll touch on that after the interview. Um, but for now, here's Johnny with the financial samurai, Sam Dogan on Invest Like a Boss. <laughs> <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.
This week's sponsor of Invest Like a Boss is our friends over at Indeed.com. And if you've been listening to the podcast long enough, you know that Indeed is our longest running sponsor of the show. That's because they are the hiring platform you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed is a powerful hiring partner that helps you do it all in one place place. One of the things that I really love about Indeed is they have these assessments. There's over 135 of them, anything from cooking to coding. It helps you take the stress out of the interview process. So by the time you actually speak to your candidates, you can dive deeper into the things that are most important to you. Indeed is a powerful hiring partner delivering four times more hires than all other job sites combined. That's according to Talent Nest 2019. So if you're ready to start hiring right now, we have a special $75 sponsored job credit to help you get started. You can upgrade your job post at indeed.com slash iLab. Offer is good only for a limited time. So claim your $75 credit now at indeed.com slash iLab. Lab. That's indeed.com slash I L A B. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Sam, it's really good to hear from you again. How are you doing? Johnny, good seeing you. Haven't seen you in uh, several years since we had a beer in uh, the sunset in San Francisco, your favorite city in the world. <laughs> uh, definitely one of my, my least favorites, but I can see why people like it. And I'm not surprised actually that there's a, a segment of people who just, you know, they're, they're happy living in a big expensive city like New York or San Francisco. Uh, they don't mind paying the high prices and there's still a way uh, to, to survive there and financially. <laughs> of course there's a way. The reason why these cities are expensive is because the opportunity is high. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you know, I, I guess kind of in, in the U S itself, you know, you have, you know, these small towns where it can be way cheaper, but there's no, you know, there's no culture, there's no theater, there's no, um, you know, there's there's not that much happening. There's not like a big international airport. So you do, you do give up uh, a lot for, for living in a, in a smaller, cheaper place. Yeah, that's true. That's for everything, though. Yeah, I, I thought I hacked it by finding Kiev, Ukraine, where it had all the good things. You know, we have, we have a great opera, we have a great symphony, we have all this culture, great restaurants, fantastic food, great airport. But then what we were lacking is the uh, security of living in the U.S. Yeah, the stability. And you know what I just realized? So before you were in your Ukraine, uh, you were in Sri Lanka, and then mm-hmm. the Sri Lankan government just got overthrown. Yeah, that, that completely so, collapsed the economy, yeah. So where are you, where are you going next? Because that that might be an indicator. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm literally the canary in the coal mine. Um, you know, I mean, I grew up in San Francisco, and and SF, you know, went through all their their problems too. So maybe I'm just bad luck wherever I go. <laughs> no. uh, yeah, but I actually I felt very privileged a couple of years ago when I met you because you were very. I mean, you all you've had your your blog for a long time, but you always were under this pen name. Uh, financial samurai you know you you had this you know um avatar and yeah. when i met you in, for, in person i've i realized i was one of the few people who in the world who even knew what you looked like what made you decide yeah. to to you know write this you know write this book and then you know, even put your face on the cover now or on, on the, at least the back cover well um in late 2019 
uh, an editor from Portfolio Penguin Random House came to me and said, hey, would you like to write a book? And I had tried to write a book 10 years ago. I couldn't even get a literary agent, uh, let alone a book deal. And only like 10% of literary agents supposedly get your book a book deal. And so I said, hmm. Okay, I'm going to regret not having tried, so why not? And so I spent two years writing By This, Not That, How to Spend Your Way to Wealth and Freedom. And I was just thinking, well, I don't want to show my face because I like my uh, privacy and I like just doing things the way I've been doing for so long since I started Financial Samurai in 2009. And then after all the hate crime that I witnessed uh, among the Asian against the Asian American community and Asian community in general in America once the pandemic started. And once I saw the elderly, some elderly Asian folks getting beat up, it just really pissed me off. And I, at the end of the day, I, you have to be the change you wanna see in the world. So I figured maybe after helping people achieve more confidence with their money since 2009, maybe if I showed my face, there would be more love for Asian people in America. I mean, literally it was as simple as that because now I have two young children now, two and five, and I want them to grow up in a world with less hate, more representation and more love. I like that, you know, and, and good on you for, for doing that. Uh, do, do you actually get recognized very much? Because I, I know like when I had a popular blog, people generally, you know, they, they know your, you know, they might know your, your, you know, your blog, but they don't only really associate your face with it so much. Well, they don't um, because I had never shown my face until 2022. But the one, so there are two times where I just wore like my financial samurai uh, sweater. So one was going to Burma Superstar to pick up some Burmese food. And I was in and out, you know, in like two minutes. And some guy at the round table said, hey, hey, are you Sam? You know, I was like, oh, hey, what's up? So, I mean, I just, that was like only one out of five times I ever wore it. And then another time, I had like a hat or maybe it was my jacket. I was at the California Academy of Sciences with my two and a half year old at the time. And I was trying to help him walk up the stairs so he wouldn't fall. And then someone was like, hey. And so that was actually kind of jolting when you're with your young child mm -hmm. and trying to be present with them. And then someone um, just randomly comes up and asks you something. So I'm not used to that. And I don't know if I'll ever be used to that. Yeah, well, I guess uh, now that this book's out you, and your your pictures on the on the back cover, it's going to happen more often. But I I do like that you you focus on a kind of a, a different you know uh, path than, uh, for example, Sam, I, and Derek. We're all single guys. You know, uh, you know, we make decent money, but we don't have any dependents. You know, and yeah. at least Sam and I live in pretty cheap places. You know, he, he likes to live in Barcelona. I like to live in places like. Kiev or, or Sri Lanka or Thailand, you choose to live in San Francisco, one of the most expensive cities in the world. Uh, and you have two kids that I, I think you, you send them to private school, is it? Well, they're in preschool right now, which preschool, is okay. private. Like preschools are private for the most part, unless you are low income and then you can get subsidized preschool. Yeah. And I remember a few of your posts that, that would kind of piss people off, especially on Twitter, uh, were saying, you know, how it's difficult to you know, to survive even making over, you know, $200,000 a year or even uh, more than that. Yeah. Uh, do you think that there's actually a lot more people out there in your position? They just, they just don't really talk about it? Well, if you look at the data, if you have a family of four, so two children, and you make your household makes $115,000 a year in San Francisco, you qualify for subsidized housing. 
And why is that? It's because of the cost, right? The government says you qualify for subsidized housing. So at 115,000, if you qualify for subsidized housing, uh, if you do the math, and I always do the math, um, you look at $200,000, $250,000 a year budget, it's relatively middle class. There's taxes, there's unsubsidized housing, uh, there's healthcare expenses, there's all sorts of normal expenses. So what I hope you know, just people realize is that different people live differently in different parts of the world and the country, and that budgets are different, and that costs of living are different. And what we've seen in 2022 is that inflation really takes a bite out of many people's income now. So it's it's about an understanding. About 45% of Americans live on the expensive coasts, the coastal cities, New York, San Francisco, Los Angeles, Seattle, Washington, D.C., Boston. And I know many, many couples, many, many households who are just grinding away, right? They're working 50, 60 hours a week, childcare expenses, and they're trying to just provide a family, uh, a lifestyle for their, their children and families. Yeah. And actually, uh, chapter eight in your book uh, is called Choose Where to Live for Maximum Wealth Potential. And actually, I tend to agree with it where, you know, especially when you're young and you want to maximize your earning potential to go to places where, you know, the job opportunities are and and also where kind of the the hustle mentality is. Because if you're in some sleepy small town where it's cheap to live, it's kind of hard to, you know, uh, try to earn you know, even six figures and definitely, you know, 200 uh, plus thousand dollars a year. Yeah, because you can only save so much to financial independence, right? That's that's the baseline. You can only save so much, but the income generation is unlimited through your career and through entrepreneurship. The wealthiest people in the world are entrepreneurs and it's because they took more risks. Yeah, the costs are tough, but after you get through like the one or two years, in terms of stabilizing your costs, if you can catch the wave where your income grows, it way surpasses the cost of wherever you are. So I'm encouraging people, especially younger people in their 20s and 30s, to not focus on the cost, but focus on the upside of income generation. Yeah, uh, that, that definitely makes sense. But I do like that in your book. You do talk about how, you know, growing up, um, you know, the kind of frugal mindset has helped as well. Because yeah. if you spent a hundred percent of everything you earned, like you know, majority of uh, Americans do, you wouldn't ever um, reach your financial goals. Yes, I mean we all know people who make a lot of money. I mean, there are people who make millions a year who end up broke 10 years later. And why is that? Because of a lack of spending discipline, right? You, if you if you spend 100 to 110% of what you make every single year, even if you make millions of dollars every year, you're going to go broke. So my hope with Buy This, Not That, the book is to help people invest in a risk-appropriate manner by age and to have a plan. If you have a plan and you're immersed in the personal finance community and you're listening and you're reading about other people who are saving, investing, and doing side hustles, it's naturally gonna help motivate you to do the same and keep you on track. Too many people wake up five, 10 years later and wonder where did all their money go? And the reason why they wonder is because they did not have a plan. Yeah, and and actually, so I I went through your entire book. Uh, uh, I you know it's it's quite long, but I read at least the chapter summaries in each one. And actually, my favorite parts were the you know uh, samurai way these kind of uh, 
little tidbits that you would add to the end. But I actually, I think this book is really good for pretty much anyone who has never thought long-term about, about what their plan is. Um, and I, I would, I would, Honestly, I would say if anyone is young, you know, um, college age or or even before, to read this, just have a, a blueprint of what to do. It's almost kind of like before you have a child, you should probably read, um, yes. you know, one of these parenting guidebooks. And even <laughs> if they don't follow it, you know, word for word, just have at least that idea. Uh, who, yeah, who who did you really write this book for? Who who do you think it's really appropriate for? I wrote it for anybody who wants to achieve financial freedom sooner, so they they can do what they want. Um, what happens, I mean, the problem is, you know, people in high school, they focus on trying to get into college. People in college, they focus on trying to get a job. And you're just only looking at maybe one step ahead. But this book is about planning 10, 20, 30, 40, your rest of your life ahead. And it is the planner in you who takes the initiative to educate yourself, who's going to not regret it at all. There's a great saying, if I knew then what I know now, things would be different, things would be better. And my hope is that through experience and through the perspectives of over 90 million people who have come to Financial Samurai since 2009, this book will provide you some information, a roadmap, a framework to help you challenge and conquer all these dilemmas that you will likely face in your life, whether it's joining a startup or joining an established firm, where to live, whether marry young or late, whether to have kids or not. These are all of life's biggest dilemmas. And that's what I wanted to tackle in the book. Yeah. And I think it's very valuable for people to be able to think about it because then people can choose whether they want to make that decision or not. You know, I mean, it's every time I see someone in a bad situation, you know, they say, you know, they can't afford rent because it, it, it went up. But they have three kids, two cars, you know, they live in an expensive city. In my mind, I'm always thinking, you know, it was also a choice to have those three kids, you know, especially if you don't have these, the the financial, um, you know, backings of it. But these are, I think people make these choices before they think about their plan. Uh, and, and having this book, I think, allows people to, you know, to either kind of dig themselves out of a hole or hopefully prevent themselves from getting that hole in the first place. Yeah. It's interesting because um, after spending two years writing the book, I totally appreciate all authors now and all books. I mean, it's really deep work. And writing a book really forces you to think about what you're trying to say and the message and and the wisdom of what you're trying to say. So now I'm an avid book reader, and I believe personally that reading a book uh, provides the best value you can ever have because you're probably reading something from an expert who has delved into the topic for years and years and years, and then he or she has had to delve into writing for years on how to make the best message possible. Uh, you know, listening to podcasts is fine, uh, reading posts is fine, but if you want to go deep, I would say read a book. Yeah, definitely. It's funny because I think we'd like things like podcasts because it's more like infotainment and you can learn while being entertained. But if I wanted to actually learn something, I would read the book because you're, you're absolutely right. It's laid out in a chronological order that's, you know, uh, or intent, like an intended order to, to learn from. It actually goes deep in everything. It doesn't just kind of, you know, touch here and there. Uh, and in your book specifically, I like how 
you have, you know, these four sections where it's not just about money. It's also no. about, you know, thinking about your career, thinking about, you know, where to physically live, thinking about family, thinking about education, thinking about, you know, um, you know, legacy. relationships, everything, legacy, everything. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, money, that's the thing. It's like money, you know, I'm a personal finance writer since 2009. So, you know, obviously I'm in, engulfed in money topics. Right. But you'll soon, sooner or later, you'll realize money is just a means to an end. And I hope people realize that sooner. And the end is to live a life, a great life that is true to your values and your beliefs. And that is everything. Everybody's long-term rational. We will tend to do the things that we value the most. And my hope is that you use money not to, to live that life and not let money be the end all be all where you're just accumulating it and hoarding it. And when you die, you have millions of dollars. I mean, what a waste, right? If you die with millions of dollars or let alone, you know, billions of dollars, that means you didn't utilize your time and your money as wisely as you should have. Well, another guest we we had on the show was Bill Perkins, uh, Die With Zero. Uh, have, Have you read his book? Yeah, I have read his book. Yeah. And so what would your thoughts on that be on on actually trying to die with zero? So there's a couple things. One, um, I have followed uh, his his thoughts since I did leave in 2012, my day job in finance and investment banking, because I didn't really care so much about the money as much as my freedom and doing what I wanted to do. So I left probably millions of dollars on the table since leaving banking in 20 since 2012. Right. but dying with zero is difficult, and it's easier to say if you have a net worth in the hundreds of millions as Bill Perkins does, right? So, yeah, if I was worth $250 million, I, I could more easily tell everybody to die with zero. But I think it's um, not exactly what you want to do. What you need to do, the message more is you need to be intentional with how you spend your money and how you plan it out, how you earmark it out. Because I do believe that having millions of dollars uh, once you die is a total waste, right? Because you gotta spend that time while you're making your millions in your 30s or 40s when you're healthier, not working as hard, living a more fruitful and joyful life and not stressing about money so much. So that is a really important point. Um, Just, it is a point um, that you make out of a position of privilege. Yeah, I can definitely see that. So so speaking of both you and, and Bill, I can't imagine that the you know time you spent writing the, this book would be financially um you know a good financial move. You know, especially not in, in, in Bill's point of view, but even yours. I mean, for you to spend years writing this book, yeah. uh, you could have you spent that same amount of time earning money, way more money doing something else. Why did you spend the time <laughs> yeah. to write this book? Yeah. If you want to make money, don't write a book. Um, first and foremost, if you ever go to Financial Samurai and read my articles, they're written from my joy of writing. I just love to write. If I didn't love to write, I wouldn't have written three posts a week every single week since July 2009. I haven't broken that streak and I don't plan to break that streak because I enjoy writing. It's kind of like people who enjoy uh, brushing their teeth every morning or working out or playing tennis or whatever sport or hobby. I just lo- enjoy writing. And I know um, I like to take challenges too, because I was able to grow Financial Samurai into a decent website, right? And I thought it was a great challenge to write uh, in privacy where my words alone, let me see if my words alone could grow the site. 
not what I look like, not my resume, not me going out there, uh, marketing and going on TV, everything. Let me see if my words alone would be good enough. And over the course of the years, it looks like my words alone were good enough to grow financial samurai. And that's really, uh, really gratifying to me. And so when I got rejected from a literary agent, I said, you know, 10 years ago, I said, well, I have this opportunity now to write a book. And there are plenty of people who love reading books and who are really not online as much. There's a big segment out there. There's millions of people out there. Why not try uh, to write a great book that um, consolidates my message that I've been writing on Financial Samurai for 13 years and see if it can become a bestseller? Let's see. Why not? Why not try the challenge? There's no downside. And the worst case is I'll produce a great book that I'll be proud of that my children can take to show and tell class one day. Okay. I like it. And I definitely hope that happens. Speaking of the book, let's break down kind of those, those the four sections, right? So part one is adopting the right money mindset to get rich. Why, why is this important? This is so important because I think in order to be rich, you need to believe you deserve to be rich. There are literally trillions of dollars out there for the taking trillions. There are CEOs who have, who receive tens of millions of dollars in severance pay after driving their companies to the ground. You know, there are sports players who decide not to play basketball for a year, not because they're injured, because they don't want to, and they'll still collect $46 million. So the point is, you need to believe you deserve to be rich, because once you have that belief, you have that confidence. And once you have that confidence, you're going to take action, the appropriate action to plan for your financial future. This is really an important mindset. If you look at the people who are doing it, they have confidence, even if they don't even know what they're talking about. You see people online, maybe they don't have the background or the relevant expertise, but they're doing it because they have the confidence and they don't care as much of what people think and they're gonna figure things out on the way. You know, That's actually I, I never I never really understood what severance pay was. I had to look it up after reading this book. I assumed it was kind of just a, um, you know, free money uh, after you get laid off. But actually, it's a benefit to the the company because you're, you know, training the next person to, to have a smooth transition. Yeah. So this is a great example. Thanks for bringing up severance pay. Most people, when they want to leave their, quit their jobs, right, they'll give a two-week notice. Say, two-week notice, sayonara, see you later. And what I'm saying is that that is the wrong way. That's actually the selfish way because you're not thinking about the employer and your colleagues because you're leaving them in the lurch. How quickly can an employer find a new employee uh, in two weeks and then train them to be up to speed? It could take three months or six months to find your replacement, especially in a labor market that's relatively hot. And then it could take, I don't know, three months to six months to train them to be up to par. So my whole severance negotiation book and my recommendation is if you're going to leave a job anyway, don't quit. Try to negotiate a severance, help your employer find your replacement, train your replacement so that there's seamless transition. You might be able to find uh, a better replacement and then they would love that. And then in reward, they would happily probably pay you a severance, which is what my employer did after I worked with them for 11 years. They gave me a severance that paid for five to six years of living expenses, normal living expenses. So I said, why not? Yeah, that's amazing. So part two is actually where you start talking about where that money uh, can be invested. And then you talk about optimizing investments, uh, real estate, um, stocks, all, all that. Now in part yeah. three, this is where you start talking about working while maximizing your, your wealth, uh, thinking strategies about your career, you know, getting side hustles. Uh, yeah. why, why did you include this part? Why, why is it important? 
It's so important because our day jobs now, people who have day jobs are no longer as safe and stable as they once were in the 70s and 80s. The world is a brutally competitive place. Globalization is making, uh, is, is hurting margins. It's making companies be more competitive. They're shifting labor costs overseas. And that's the cost of being a global world. And so for your people to rely on just a day job is unwise. It's unwise now, especially with the rise of the internet as well. There are so many ways to make money online, as you know, as I know, and as so many millions of internet entrepreneurs know, 40 hours a week is a artificial construct. You can wake up one or two hours earlier to work on your side hustle or work on it after you come home or after you have dinner. There are so many ways to make money, whether it's through uh, consulting, whether it's through creating a blog, whether it's through selling products online. It's just unbelievable opportunity. And I want to encourage people to think about opportunities that you might not have thought about. I mean, there's this kid on YouTube who makes tens of millions of dollars just reviewing toys. Um, there's my friend, uh, Harry from you know Rideshare he, guy. He, he makes a million dollars in revenue just reviewing um the Uber, Lyft, and the gig economy guys, because he makes affiliate revenue that way. There's just endless amounts of ways to make money. And I hope people realize that. Yeah. And and, and I like how you give examples that, you know, are, you know, very kind of easily within reach too, because you know, like, like your friend who now makes millions of dollars um, as a, you know, rideshare affiliate, he started driving on a spare time. And it, that's something that anyone can do is, I mean, you know, literally uh, one of our co-hosts, Derek, he delivers groceries in his, in his spare time and he makes yeah. hundreds of dollars as a side Why hustle. Not? And But that's also the stepping stone to grow that into a bigger business, as you said. Yeah, you start doing that. I mean, I, I personally gave over 500 Uber rides. Uh, I didn't want to just give one or two and write about my experience. I wanted to get deep into it and understand, hear people's stories, see how much money I could make, see if there are any hacks to make more during better times and so forth. And, you know, that was a stepping stone. Once you get deep into it, you become an expert. And then I started talking about my experiences on Financial Samurai. And then I was able to earn some affiliate revenue for signups on Financial Samurai. And that's leverage and that's experience and that's knowledge. So be be willing to get in the weeds, do the work. It was so ironic because back in 2015 and 16, when I was driving, the corporates, the corporate employees at Uber weren't driving. They weren't even just driving their own product. And, I, and it was just, it was a little bit hypocritical. How do you know how the problems your product, you're not doing it. And so they would sit in their, you know, ivory towers and make, make their money and, and look down upon us drivers. But I met a lot of drivers who made more than them. So it was, it's pretty interesting. Don't be afraid. Uh, don't be too proud to get into the weeds. Yeah, absolutely. And also, I mean, on that point is don't be too lazy not to not to start because there's so many people who want to skip that step and they're like well if i can make a million dollars being a rideshare affiliate let me just skip to that but if you've never driven the car and you don't understand the way it works you're just going to be talking out of your ass and you're not going to be able to offer any value to you know yeah. to, to the people you're sharing your affiliate links with absolutely i mean sorry absolutely it's uh, experience is is invaluable and you will learn by doing so please try. Please try. Because at the end of the day, if you've ever, uh, you know, if you think about uh, what is that, what is that great movie inception? Mm -hmm. I, I don't want to be an old man filled with regret dying alone. If you don't try, you're going to regret more of your inaction than the things you do. 
Yeah, absolutely. So that's that's a good segue to part four, focusing on the most important things in life. Why did you include this? This doesn't really have that much to do, you know, with um, you know buying this, buying not, you know, don't uh, not buying that or or finance in a traditional sense. Well, I mean, based on my original thesis, money is just a means to an end. What's the point of having money? I believe having money, uh, the important thing is to be able to be free to do what you want. And I think a lot of people are looking for love. I don't think um, money is and life is worth as much as if you don't have a wonderful partner to share it with. And so I think uh, I've met many, many people. Oh, my gosh. We focus on making money, hustling in our careers, being successes with our business, but we neglect the relationships in our lives, our friends, uh, our loved ones. And then, you know, we we get old and we wonder, man, what, what was the point of all that if there's nobody to spend time with? Uh, so, you know, on Wall Street, uh, for example, you know, I, ha- I met one of my close friends who's a great woman. She rose up the ranks really quickly. But, you know, at 45, she said, you know, I would give this all up just to find someone to be with. And I think deep down, people just want to find love and acceptance from other people. So I wanted to focus on relationships and the consideration of family, if you're thinking about it, and your legacy on what is this all for? Because as you get older, you realize, you know, time is short. The time goes by more quickly. Every year that passes is more valuable because you have less of it. What the hell are we doing? What is the purpose of our lives? Yeah, I like it. I think it's very important. And I'm glad that you you mentioned kind of the the example of the dollar amount that you need per year to be happy. And I think you had mentioned 75,000 if you live in a cheaper area. And I think it was 225,000 if you live somewhere more expensive. Yeah. Uh, And I... I, I think, you know, I don't want people thinking uh, after listening to this that money doesn't matter at all because it, it does to a, to a point. But it, it's it's good that you're keeping everybody in balance. And that's kind of the, the financial samurai way is to find that balance. You got to find that balance. I mean, it, it's, yeah, 75,000 was a study done um, years ago, about 10 years ago by a couple of Princeton professors that said, after making over 75,000, um, your marginal increase in happiness doesn't go up anymore. It just kind of stabilizes because you've covered all your basic living expenses and so forth. So with inflation, I think 75,000 is more like $100,000. Uh, and obviously, if you're in the coast, I think it's double that or more. And the idea is you get your fundamentals uh, covered, right? Your food, your health, your living. Uh, your education. And then after that, it's like you get you should spend your time figuring out ways to make money that are going to be fulfilling to you. It just shocks me that there are some people like, for example, that let's say they're they're struggling, they're hustling to climb the corporate ladder to at a company that sells like sugar drinks, right? And you know, we know sugar is terrible and it causes diabetes and uh, it's the number one cause of death. Like you want to look back in your life and say, oh, I spent 40 years of my life climbing the corporate ladder to make millions of dollars to sell sugary drinks to people. These are the questions that I that I don't have the answer to, but you have to look within to find what it is that finds brings you purpose and meaning. Yeah. And actually, so one of the the segments that, that you mentioned, um, it's called the best time to own the nicest home you can afford. And actually, yeah. I had to read this a few times because it at first it didn't make sense. You know, I'm like... <laughs> You know, like most people would buy their nicest house as they get older, 
But actually, you you make the the argument that when you're ordering the the kids out, you know, and mm-hmm. you know, maybe you're you're you know you're, you're old, you don't you don't want that big house anymore. You want it when you know in the prime. Yeah. Uh, so my argument is. The best time to own the nicest house you can afford is when there are the most heartbeats in your home. So usually that's kids, but they could be animals, but mostly they're kids, right? After 18, they might go to college. They might go off on their own. And yeah, you'll probably be wealthier, but are you going to upgrade to a bigger house? It's going to feel so lonely already with the kids gone. And so you might just keep your house or actually downgrade maybe to a full service condominium or a smaller place near the water or just be, you know, traveling around the world like you, Johnny, you know, it's great. You want to be more, more free and less encumbered by the large home maintenance. Yeah, uh, absolutely agree. So I think this, uh, this book is a a must read. Uh, How, how can people find it? So you can buy it on Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, anywhere online, buy this, not that is available. Uh, Or you can go to your local bookstore if you're in America and just ask for a copy, call ahead, because if it's indie bookstore, they might only have one or none. But if it's like a Barnes and Nobles, they'll probably have a couple copies. Um, It's out everywhere. And I think it really is going to help people focus on their finances and live a better life. Okay. That's awesome. So guys, definitely check it out. Sam, thank you so much for coming on uh, for the second time, actually. Uh, Let me me see what episode you were on before. Do you remember? I don't remember, but I must have been years and years ago. And I just want to tell Mm -hmm. listeners that, you know, I I love Johnny's uh, YouTube and podcast. And it's been really awesome to see in real time, you know, how you know, people are living and especially during the Ukraine period, I was, I was mesmerized. So good job, Johnny. Yeah. I appreciate that. Uh, I just looked it up. It was October 10th, 2016, six years ago, episode 24. That was one of our very early episodes. Wow. Time flies, huh? Yeah. And things have changed uh, a lot for both of us and for the world. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. And that's the thing. If we can, you know, look back to where we were, one year, three years, five, 10 years ago, we should, we should take stock of our progress. You know, just don't just wing it in life, just be more uh, purposeful in, in how we do things. Uh, because I think it, it'll really help us improve whatever it is, whether it's relationships, money, business, family, just take stock, right? Just like how we have the year end year end review, it's worth it because man, it's so easy to wake up years later and, and just wonder where all the time went. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I'm I'm st- honestly still shocked that you you chose to stay in San Francisco, even though you're completely <laughs> location dependent, but you've made it work. And I'm sure there's a lot of people uh, who are in the same position as you. So they're, well, they're happy. The yeah. Here's the thing. I've wanted to leave uh, for years because uh, I wanted to go back to Hawaii to be closer to my family. And also Hawaii is just unbelievable. And even though Hawaii is expensive, it's cheaper than San Francisco. But every time I try to get out, you know, the city has pulled me back in. One was because of real estate. So that's something to be aware of. If you own physical real estate, it'll tend to anchor you more than if you didn't. You're more free without real estate. And then two, once I had my son in 2017, you know, I wanted stability. When I was growing up, I grew up overseas, uh, multiple countries, because my parents were in the foreign service. And I had to move around every one to four years. And it was fun, but then I started missing out my friends and it was just unstable. And so I wanted, I wanted to promise my family stability. And then of course we had our daughter in 2019 
more stability is needed because there's the doctors we're familiar with. There's just the routine, there's the playgrounds. And we just wanted to keep things stable and easy until maybe at least uh, for three more years until my daughter turns five. And then maybe we'll go to Hawaii. And then maybe we'll spend, or I hope I we will, we will spend probably two to three months in Taiwan or China where we can immerse ourselves in the culture and the language to improve the Mandarin. And that's what we do. I'm waiting. I'm I'm waiting. I can't wait to live your lifestyle, to slow travel and, you know, be abroad for months and months, or if not years. But I need uh, my kids to get old enough so that they can remember and be more self-sufficient. Yeah, I, I can definitely see that. And, and I 100% agree what you said about physical real estate anchoring you down because that is why I am actually currently in Kiev, Ukraine, because <laughs> I own an apartment here. Uh, that and and is everything I, I just, okay? Yeah. So my okay? yeah, my place is fine because I'm in the city center of, of, of Kiev, and, and they were never able to, to cross that bridge. Um, but yeah, it, it's still. Uh, I wouldn't be here if I didn't if I didn't own real estate. If I didn't have this connection, I would be yeah. in Prague or something. And Prague it's, is uh, amazing. <laughs> yeah. So you're absolutely right. Where you know, having, uh, you know, th- those ties, it, it brings you back. So be careful where you guys end up buying a place. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's good and bad, right? It really just, it's good and bad. Um, I think for our case, it's good because, you know, we have a home to just come home to and I can raise my family. And I feel proud of that to just be the provider of the family and just that stability. And, and I know that kids um, will are, are really malleable for the first like 11 years uh, so I will have to figure it out where I want to live. Uh, and I, I, I honestly, you know, I've been following you for over 10 years now and your lifestyle was the lifestyle that I wanted to live um, after I left finance. Um, but when I left, you know, my wife was still working. Uh, she wanted to work until age 34, like me until leaving. So it was just hard to leave, you know, it's like, it's, it's tough. So if you, if you want to be free, it's actually better to be solo. Right. It's easier. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and it definitely doesn't get easier the more you accumulate. So, guys, that's kind of the, the big warning is every time you buy something physical, whether it's a car or real estate or you have kids or you, you get married, that's another anchor that's going to keep you where you are. So move early if you can. Yeah. Experience the world early. The good thing is when I left in 2012, um, I decided to go traveling like crazy, right? So I just went to like 20 plus countries. So I have seen 60 countries. So by the time that uh, my my son was born in 2017, I was traveled out. I wanted to travel the hell out of myself um, for years uh, because I knew I just wanted to just stay in San Francisco because flying with a baby or a toddler is, is kind of not really enjoyable. Yeah, I, I can definitely see that. But I mean, the, the good thing is now that you have the um, the financial side, you know, um, uh, you know, you have the financial freedom. And for anyone, you know, listening and, and you know, following the book, once you have that, at least that's that's one less big anchor that keeps you somewhere. Yeah, you know, that's the funny thing. It's um, we we've we've been able to generate more income than we need right now. We feel blessed uh, because there's income from our investments. And then there's income from financial samurai and I might even make a dollar or two on buy this, not that the book. Um, but what, what is lacking is where to spend that money, um, you know, where to spend that money. So I've actually uh, have gone into the decumulation phase of my life at the age of 45. So I want to be spending more money, uh, donating more money, supporting more charities. And I think it's great 
you know, you're supporting uh, the Ukraine effort and raising funds. That's awesome. I'm going to be donating to that. And I'm going to be, you know, donating to uh, this disability center called the Pomeroy Rehabilitation Center in San Francisco, which helps uh, people with disabilities. Because the people who are disabled, there's about 15% of the population that it suffers from some type of disability, whether it's benign or relatively severe. And I think that's the minority group we should fight for the most, because that cuts across racial lines and 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 everything. Yeah, I love it. Sam, thank you for coming on. Thank you for writing the book and all that you do. Guys, definitely check it out. It's called Buy This, Not That by Sam Dogan. Thank you so much, Johnny. Stay safe. Awesome interview, Johnny. Sam seems like a really cool, like down to earth guy. And I want to get his book because it's, it seems like a, like an easy read and something that like I could pick up, put down and then kind of jump into it at, at any point um, where there's like a lot of, it's kind of broken up into a, a lot of good kind of little chunks that would be really interesting to hear. And just a good reminder, like the podcast is a great reminder for me to just kind of stay focused. And his blog kind of seems like that too. Yeah, and it's it's actually a really good kind of overall book where like literally anyone, even without any investing knowledge, can read it and say, okay, well, even if I don't read any other books, like this is good enough. Like it kind of gives you a foundation. Yeah, I want to touch on some of the things that he brought up that I I don't know that you necessarily agree with. Okay. For one, um, we touched on it in the intro too, but he one thing he said, he said, you'll never really be rich with just passive income. What do you think of that? Yeah, he's absolutely right. I mean, the only reason why I was so obsessed with passive income for so long was I knew I was going to get burnt out. I, I just, I just had this feeling that I couldn't hustle and work, you know, forever. I couldn't rely on, um, you know, ups and downs volatility. That my, you know, because I grew up, you know, with parents who struggled with money, I never wanted to be that that point. So I wanted a steady drip of passive income. Even if it wasn't that much money, like even if my baseline was two grand a month, if I as long as I had that and I could live cheaply somewhere, I, that's what I wanted. That was my goal. That makes sense. And what about this? Because your current situation, you know, you finally jumped into buying some real estate in the last year or two, and it unfortunately turned out that you bought it in Ukraine, and we know the situation there. Um, you have your your key place where you're at right now. You had a second place that essentially is a write off, as far as you know, and Sam had said he believes in real assets, which I, I think he was alluding to essentially real estate. He's really big on real estate. Um, what are your thoughts now after kind of going through what you've gone through with real estate? You know, I really believe that even in the US and every single country in the world, people buy it thinking and their property is going to go up. And you only hear the stories of people who... Uh, do well. And even those people never really calculate how much money they've really invested uh, and spent into it, you know, including, you know, property tax, uh, interest, you know, payments, mm-hmm. all that stuff. And we hear about the people who, you know, their ho- they bought their house for 200000 and now it's worth a million. But you never hear about all the people who bought in, you know, places that ended up not going up in price or they bought, you know, at the top and now they're actually kind of underwater. Right. Uh, you know, imagine all the people who bought in Detroit, like, uh, you know, dur- you know, during the actual, like, you know, when, when auto factories are still happening or the people who bought in Vegas, uh, during the boom. Um, and 
all the places that you don't really think about, you know, or all the places that kind of just, you know, stood still where like the, the price didn't go up. Um, and in other, like in, in other countries as well, right? The U.S. is kind of a a hard example because in general, the U.S. just, you know, is strong and stays up. But who knows what's going to happen in five or 10 or 20, 50 years. So it's it's real estate is a real asset and i would say out of everything it's uh you know one of the the better ones but i'm willing to bet that buying a sock like coca-cola or buying an s&p 500 is actually safer than buying a real asset because those 500 stocks those companies are probably not going to go out of business but your one house might get hit by a natural disaster uh that might not be you know that won't be covered so who knows I think about that a lot too. Uh, as far as the housing goes, unless it's the super high-end places like here in LA that go for multi-millions of dollars, you don't think about all the money you put into that. Let's say you live there five years and it went from you know three hundred thousand to a million, but in that five years, you know how much did you pay in tax? You know uh, how much did you pay in mortgage interest? And let's just like remodeling, like. Honestly, a lot of places, if they're more than like five years old or so, like people think it's old and it's crappy and they want to redo it. And then remodeling costs hundreds of thousands of dollars and takes months and permits and all that stuff. And a lot of people don't factor that. They're they're looking at like HGTV and like, look, they just redid a house in 30 minutes and made $50,000. It's like, no, it doesn't work like that. Yeah. And most likely it wasn't a $300,000 house that's worth a million. Most likely it was a, you know, $400,000 house that's now worth 450000 So, you know, it's, it's not as big of a gain as people think. And normally if they had just put the money in, you know, in uh, the stock market um, or the S&P, they would have had a very similar gain with less risk, less work, uh, definitely less headache. Yeah, I totally agree. And I, I like his point of putting a little bit, uh, a little piece of your your net worth into some of these, you know, home run plays like he did with that stock. And I think I think it's just fun, too, because if you're just buying, you know, Coca-Cola or whatever, these stocks that you're talking about or just um like Van like VGT, like we like I personally own or, um I'm sorry, VTI. And that, you know, we all own and it's it's nice, but it's not super exciting. It's nice to have those kind of what if this happens type lottery tickets in there as well, too. But just a small little piece. Yeah, I found who said it, but but I know it's one of Sam's favorite quotes is always to have a lottery ticket in your back pocket. Actually, maybe I think it was Sam's mentor, one of his, uh, his, his friends back in the day. And I, I think he's right. I think it's good to always have a lottery ticket in your back pocket. Uh, unfortunately, I'm not that risky anymore. I, I I should have done it earlier, but now I think it's getting wor- <laughs> getting worse and worse um, of, of timing to try to buy a lot of tickets. Yeah, it, it's it's definitely a long term play if if you want to do it. Let's one thing I also want to touch on that I think you have some thoughts about is something that you always get on me about is that I live in a very expensive city. Um, I'm more on Sam's side here with this. He lives in San Francisco. I live in Los Angeles. And while they are expensive, the opportunity to make money here is insane. Like if you can't make $100,000 in LA, you're doing something wrong because there's opportunities to make money everywhere. And we just don't see that in in uh, like second tier cities or or um 
maybe outside of the US, as far as I know, as much as like the hustle mentality is here in LA, for example, because I know it best, but I, I could be out on the street and find a way to make money immediately. Yeah, actually, I, I agreed 100% with his, uh, his, his thoughts on moving to one of these kind of hustler high price cities when you're young, when you're in your mid 20s or your 30s and you're, you know, working and hustling. I think it's a good idea. It's a great idea. But at his point now where he's, you know, a family man, I doubt he needs to go out and network and, you know, and hustle anymore. He's probably working from home most of the time or spending time with the family. He can easily do that from a cheaper state, you know. And I think, you know, I would say he's probably putting off his dream of living in Hawaii, which is also an expensive place, but you know, he, there's always going to be some some reason, you know, uh, the kids are always going to you know, have to, you know, want to be near their friends or, you know, go to their, their school. They're always going to have something happening. And I think that in five years, something else is going to come up as well. Yeah. I think you said that as your life expands and gets more complicated, it's, it's like one more anchor in the ground where you're, you're kind of stuck there. Um, I guess it's not necessarily stuck there if that, if that's a place you want to be, but he did bring up Hawaii quite a bit that he wanted to be there too. Yeah. And I can, I, you know, I, I, I was talking to him for like an hour offline afterwards and he was like, yeah, man, like I wish I can do what you do and have this freedom to, to move and travel. And I'm like, dude, you have way more money than me. Like you can, you can absolutely do it. <laughs> I, I find that funny that people with, you know, a really high net worth, a, a lot of their mentality, and maybe that's how they keep it too, is that they're not as wealthy as they are, at least in their heads. Yeah. There's that, but also you, you get used to it, uh, that number, and you always want that number to go up. It's really hard to see your net worth go down, you know. Uh, and also, you start comparing yourself to other people with that net worth. And the the best thing that ever happened to me is when I had that big drop, and I was no longer a millionaire. I I stopped comparing myself to millionaires. I started comparing myself to the person in Maripol who lost their their home and they have nothing. And I'm like, you know what? My life is pretty damn good. Like, you know, I'm right. absolutely okay. And now, you know, I'm happy to live in Kiev where, you know, spending three grand a month, I can basically do whatever I want. I can eat anywhere I want. I can shop, you know, and I can buy, you know, whatever I want without really looking at the price tag. Uh, I can take Ubers whenever I want. I can get massages whenever I want. I can, you know, I can have a lifestyle that in the US I would need, you know, to make 300 grand a, a year for it in, in a big city like San Francisco. And I'm not willing to to spend that or to even work and hustle, at it, you know, the amount needed to make that much. Yeah, I, I, I mean, it gets... You get burnt out after a while. I, I will say that um, it's it's fun. To, it's fun while you're in it, and then there's a point where you're just like, "What am I doing all this for?" <laughs> um, so I think I think you've kind of hacked it, though. Like, I mean, obviously before the, before this war, Kiev was like a great spot that kind of had a little bit of everything. It's it's it was busy. It was bustling when I was there with you, and it was like it, it had everything you would need in a city, and also it still seemed chill and you know cheap. Yeah, and you know it's it's strange to say this, but everyone I know in Kiev agrees. We would rather be here even during the war than really anywhere else. Because most of us that I know, like you know, uh, especially all the Americans, we can move. We you know we can just move to Prague if we wanted to. We can move to France or something. Like, but we're like, no, this is still the city we want to be in. Sure. Um, I I think 
I hope that when this war is over, hopefully very soon, that I think he's just going to take off. And there's gonna, you're going to see a lot of a lot of people investing in Ukraine and kind of helping it get back. At least that's what I hope. Um, so I think I think you're going to be in a really hot spot here in the next couple of years. Yeah, I, I hope so, too. I'm, I'm optimistic about it, especially my place in Kiev. Uh, the place in Kharkiv, man, I have no idea what's going to happen with that. It's yeah, like it's basically not not physically boarded up, but they, they've um, closed off the front entrance so nobody can go in. And I can just imagine like, you know, whatever's in the fridge is rotting in there. There's no air going in. And, um, you know, I've obviously had no rental income from that for the last six months. You know, so it it went from my best investment ever to my worst investment ever. I know it's it was such a steal when you said it. I'm like, no way. Like, what, what did you pay? Like 30,000 bucks for it? I was 30, like, yeah, that 30, doesn't exist. 37,500. <laughs> so 40 grand out the door with the closing costs. You know, basically and furnished. Furnished, like moving ready. <laughs> and it started making me 20% returns, like basically the same day. When it seems too good to be true, sometimes yeah. it is. <laughs> Maybe this case too. Yeah. Who knows? But yeah, uh, I do like the uh, Sam Dogan financial samurai way. Uh, I think it's for most people. They should definitely read the book. So I'm happy we had him on. I'm happy that uh, we met and grabbed a beer. And, you know, I would say uh, we can we can learn from the, the way of the samurai. Yeah, there's some good stuff there. His book's called <laughs> Buy This, Not That. And you can check it out at financialsamurai.com. We'll put a link in the show notes. Um, it's available on Amazon too or anywhere you buy books. I was surprised actually that he took the time to write a book because I will guarantee you he's going to make less money from that book than if he had just written the equivalent blog post or, or you know, did something else. Oh, for sure. Like endless rewrites and sending it to editors and publishers. And I can only imagine the hours and hours he put into it where he's like, I could have probably just written a few blog posts and made just as much money. Yeah. So that's why I believe him when he said he, he didn't do it for the money. Yeah. So it's really cool. Check it out. Uh, the book's pretty inexpensive too. Let me just check it out how much it is. It's, it's a pretty large book too, like substantial book, I should say. Um, 15 bucks. No problem. I, I mean, I like that. If you can't get $15 worth of, of knowledge out of that, you know. Yeah, and, and definitely worth it. I would say um, one of the easy, easy recommendations. Awesome. Well, thanks again to Sam for coming on. Do you got any business to go over, Johnny? It's been kind of, it's been busy over here, but we haven't talked a ton. Um, I know we got some Patreon stuff coming up. We got another mastermind to do soon. The quarters are just flying by. Anything, what else is going on? I have no idea. I mean, my my life is, is strange. Where every time I talk to you, I I don't know if it's been one week or a month. I know. I feel I feel the same way. And now I'm like, we're coming near like the end of summer already, and I don't know where these days are going. Yeah, like it's it's crazy that winter is literally coming. Where uh, it's August now. We have September, which already starts to get cold. Yeah, October, November. It snows in ukraine so i literally have one more month to, to enjoy uh some summer here uh hopefully it doesn't rain too much and yeah hopefully uh ukraine's gonna have heat during the winter because th they might not have enough gas oh yeah that's gonna be interesting uh, i hope you'll keep us updated on that situation um i'm gonna enjoy sweating my ass off here in los angeles because i have no air conditioning <laughs> yeah 
exact opposite problems, but you know, I'm comfy. Um, I finally hundred percent finished my, my, my apartment. Uh, I, I just put a tour up. Uh, I'll, I'll send that to you. I mean, I'll put it in the boss lounge. I think a lot of people want to see it. Cool. Yeah. Looking forward to checking it out. Send that to me too. So we can put it on uh, Patreon as well. So our Patreon members can check out Johnny's sweet pad in Kiev. All right. And, uh, after this war, maybe we'll have a, uh, in-person meetup here but you know that might be a couple years so let's let's not put out the books yet <laughs> all right i'm looking forward to that um otherwise i'll talk to you next week johnny all right ciao guys thanks for listening to the best like a boss podcast join our mailing list at bestlikeaboss.com to get exclusive access to our insider investment portfolios and our private members forum if you enjoyed this episode please subscribe on itunes or your favorite podcast app Tell your friends and leave us a review in the iTunes store. It helps more than you know. See you guys next week.